CAB. It stands for Certified Angus Beef. The name is synonymous with quality, genetics, and tradition. And last week, the ranchers, producers, packers, retailers, and restaurants and chefs who use CAB came together for a conference in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, I've always wondered how CAB started, and I'm excited to have a lot of my questions answered by the people who raise the cattle from birth. When CAB throws a party, they invite everyone they know. I met so many interesting people, and you'll hear these interviews over the next few weeks. I spent three days there, and I did one or two interviews every day. They were gracious enough to line up some interviews with me. They had a podcast booth because CAB is actually launching their own podcast called Meat Speak. Uh, host Brian Schaff and Chef Tony Biggs. It should be super interesting. It's going to be very industry. It's going to be very interesting for anyone who cares about beef and, and the way it's raised. And Brian and uh, Chef Tony both have really fun attitudes, really fun style, uh, and I'm excited to hear what they have to offer. I'm going to start our story off where the beef begins, with the ranchers who raised these cattle from birth. This interview is with Debbie Lyons Blythe. She's from White City, Kansas, and she's on a fifth generation farm. And then Troy and Stacy Hadrick, who are also fifth generation in Fulton, South Dakota. They are super sweet, really excited to talk to me, really happy that someone was interested in what they do and how they do it. I just had a really good time talking to them. I talked to them a lot more after we did the interview and we kind of spent the three day conference all hanging out. Uh, so I hope you enjoy this interview, and I'm excited to someday get even more information and maybe even visit the ranches. But for now, enjoy this interview. Thank you for watching and or listening to The Best Barbecue Show. Uh, I am here with Debbie Lyons-Blythe. From, where are you from, Debbie? I'm from White City, Kansas. And Troy and Stacy Hadrick from? We are from Falkton, South Dakota. Awesome. And y'all are ranchers. Yeah, we are. We uh, in we're up in our ranch in South Dakota. We're fifth generation up there, and we have a cow calf operation. And so we we're the ones that have the cows out on the grass, the prairie, that we calve out, and that's where the baby calves come from. And then we raise those calves up, um, up to feeder calves, uh, get them a little bit bigger and older, and then but we retain ownership. We own those cattle all the way through the chain, and our goal is to to produce the type of calves that will grade certified Angus beef. And um, we're really excited to be part of that brand. It's, it's fun to know where our beef is going and, and as far as, you know, doing whatever we can to make sure that uh, we reach those goals. Uh, and I learned recently that uh, y'all own the cattle and Certified Angus Beef doesn't own any, they actually don't own anything. They just own the brand. So Exactly right. So Certified Angus Beef owns the brand, which is the licensing then, but our cattle have to be really excellent to make Certified Angus Beef. So that way they can have some really high specifications and they only get the best beef that we raise to make Certified Angus Beef. So Debbie, tell me a, a little bit about the process of, of raising this high-end cattle. So most uh, ranches in America are family-owned and operated. 98% of those are. And we all work very hard to uh, provide a good opportunity for the cattle to grow and uh, mature as well as to then be able to make 
um, that high quality, superior quality for beef. But a lot of things go into that and anymore, a lot of people don't realize, but you almost have to have a science degree to be a rancher. Wow. So it's about being um, a nutritionist. It's about being an environmentalist. It's about animal welfare and animal behavior. Um, and it's also about taking care of our communities. And uh, raising cattle is just an absolutely awesome way to make a living and to raise a family. Well, and especially when you have such a strong brand behind you, I mean, it must be fun coming out to these things and just seeing, because y'all are, you're not, that, you're not that far from each other, but at the same time, y'all are at, in, in totally different ranches, and there's people that are from all over the country. I, I learned today that there's uh, certified Angus beef in all 50 states. Sure. And, oh, go ahead. Yeah, there is, and that's what's so fun about it. You know, a lot of times we're in more rural areas raising these types of cattle, um, but we look at our, our neighbors that live out on the East Coast or maybe the West Coast, or, and, and it's fun to know that they can buy this certified Angus beef product and that label will tell them exactly where their beef's coming from um, and how much work and effort was put into making sure that those cattle um, meet that effort or meet those types of requirements. And so we're really excited every time that we get off the ranch, we get to travel and maybe we're at a restaurant and we see that logo and, and we know that we play a part in making sure that uh, that type of high quality beef makes it uh, to a restaurant. So are y'all raising, oh, go ahead. But I, I think, too, that we're so appreciative of the, the food service that's here and the retail that are here because they're the ones that take our product of what we raise with our beef and then take it to that next level to make a really good dish with it or a really good steak or this amazing beef experience. Um, they, they take it even further than, than we can imagine when we're raising it on their, our farms and ranches. And are y'all, you know, are, are you creating these things yourselves are you are you all eating you know the same beef at home are you shipping most of it out or what what's do you, do you try to like get the most out of it or do you buy beef in the store like where, where do you get your beef yeah so of course we always have our own beef because um you know something might happen and we might uh end up taking care of our own animals for that but um we also do raise for ourselves but frankly i love to go to the grocery store and pick out certified Angus beef if I can. My best cut that I will find is the flat iron. So the flat iron is fairly new cut and uh, they realize that it's the second most tender cut in a carcass, but if you have your own beef slaughtered, you only get four of them out of a carcass. And frankly, I want more than that. So when I go to the grocery store and if I find CAB flat irons, I buy like 10. Wow. So yeah, I buy beef in the grocery store just like anyone else. Well, and I know that the, you know, there's a there's a lot of steps between y'all, you know, raising a calf and it ending up on the shelves. Uh, do, do y'all, are, are you, you just kind of send them off or do you get to see some of that process? So really on our ranch, the whole process starts in the genetics and the mating of these cows. And we use a lot of data, like, like Debbie mentioned, you know, the science that goes into this. We're using DNA profiles. Um, all of the records and stuff we can keep to make really good breeding decisions that we feel like will produce even more high-quality beef the next year. And, and then that cow, nine months later, has a calf. And then we have another 16 months or so that we have to grow that calf up to a market weight. Um, so by the time you know, that animal leaves the place and is in getting onto a shelf somewhere in a grocery store or at a restaurant, it's two years down the road from the when we made some of those first initial decisions. So 
for, so when you see that certified Angus beef product, you know that there's been a lot of effort all along the way from the from the very beginning when you're talking the genetics to how we cared for that animal with its health, how we fed it out to the end, um, lots of steps along the way, and it's it's very important that all of those work together, or you won't get that that really great product at the end. Uh, and do you think that you know? Uh, I cover barbecue in Texas mostly. Uh, I have traveled across the country for it. There's a there's something too, you know, with Texas barbecue. You cook a brisket for 16 hours. You got to think ahead of time. Now you're talking about two years. Uh, is it hard to plan? I mean, it it must take a long time to learn how to plan your life around years <laughs> of, of livestock. Of course, remember we've all grown up doing it. The yeah, three right. of us, anyway. We grew up this way, and we're raising our kids to do that too. But it does take a lot of planning. I mean, we do a lot on the computer planning our matings, which cow is going to breed to which bull, based on numbers and information on the computer way before we actually do that. So, yeah, it's, it's an amazing amount of planning, and we really appreciate and value what you do for us then, too, because somebody who's interested in taking 16 hours to smoke a brisket, we love you. Yeah. That's great. Well, and, and uh, a lot of the people who listen to the show realize this, but not everyone knows that there's only two briskets per cow. So, and there's places in Austin, actually in my neighborhood, that serve 1,100 briskets a week. So that's over 2,000 cows. Uh, what, what kind of production are y'all doing at, at y'all's farms? You, you know, depending on the year and what Mother Nature allows us to do with feed, but typically we're marketing, you know, somewhere around 150 fed animals every year that come off of our ranch. Um, now, you remember, every year we have to keep some back as replacement females in the herd. As older cows go out, we need to um, put these younger heifers back into the herd and keep that growing. But, but you know, yeah, it, it takes a lot of effort. And when you talk about places that use that much beef, I think it just goes to show how many ranchers and families we need out there that are doing all of that work to, to kind of supply that need and make sure we have that, uh, you know, that safe, reliable food source that's always available out there. You know, the average herd size in America is 40 cows. Wow. So a lot of people have very small herds compared to, say, Troy and Stacy in South Dakota. And I have around probably four to 500 cows as well. And so there's a lot of guys that are just small herds as well. But it's really cool because everybody does it their way, right? Yeah. Everybody is able to do things appropriately for their geography, for their ability for help how much land they own. You know, everybody's area is different and everybody does it their own way. But we all basically are doing the same thing, trying to raise really high quality, good certified Angus beef. Well, so tell us about your geography a little bit. Where, where are, are they on hills? Or? We're kind of similar. So our geography is fairly similar. I live in a really special area in Kansas. It's called the Kansas Flint Hills. It used to reach, the, the entire tall grass prairie used to reach from Canada to Mexico, and it took up the whole center part of the country. But because of farming and ranching and urban sprawl, or farming specifically, and urban sprawl, a lot of that tall grass prairie has been destroyed. And so the only amount that still exists is 4% that is in the Kansas Flint Hills. And what that is, the tall grass prairie is all native grass. We don't plant it. We don't fertilize it. Wow. We don't have to, to do anything specific except graze cows on it and kill the trees that are encroached because the native uh, state, the pristine state, is tall grass. And that grass can grow up to eight feet tall. 
in the Kansas Flint Hills. And I know Troy and Stacy are also in a prairie, but in a different kind of prairie. Yeah, you know, we're, we're in a lot, you know, some of that original tall grass prairie area as well. We're just a lot further north from, from where Debbie's at. So even though we got some similar geography as far as being, you know, somewhat flat and, and no trees, um, you know, weather patterns are certainly going to be a lot different too. So, so we, you know, we tend to have some, can get some severe weather in the wintertime. Um, so we've got to have cows that fit that environment. And, you know, my cows might go down to Debbie's sometime and, and they'd, wonder how in the world they're going to survive down there because it's just going to be totally different and then be vice versa so so even though we're all kind of working towards that same end product we have to have cattle that uh, fit the environment where we st- where they start at originally and so um, like we said there's so many different ways you can do this and there's not necessarily right or wrong it's what's right for your environment and your area and and you know we live in a very rural area in South Dakota and, and we love it there um, but I think it's um, it's it's just not it's one of those things where um you look out at how everybody's doing it and just realize that there's not one 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 way that you can do it everywhere uh you smiled when you said talk about your grass are you you guys real (laughs) proud of the prairie well you, you have to be because i mean that's our main natural resource that we have our cattle eat grass and um so you pay so much detailed attention to your grass and and different seasons and what it can produce, you know, and how your cattle are reacting to it. So we're out there looking at it all the time and monitoring it. And I think what, as Debbie talked about earlier, the science behind it to be certain times of year, um, our livestock like different kinds of grasses and they'll select them and eat them. And then as that grass maybe matures, it doesn't taste as good to them. So they move on to another kind of grass and, and in drought years, how our grass reacts and how we, you know, if you overuse a natural resource, how long it takes to come back and, um, you know, be utilized again. So you're constantly monitoring those things to make it best for your cattle because their nutrition is everything. And that's what leads us down this path of, of producing certified Angus beef. So is this grass that you can, uh, you know, you see those big bales of hay that people roll up. Is that, is that something you all do throughout the year? Or? Sure, yeah, that's how we feed our cows in the winter, right? So you want to cut the grass when it's at its best, highest nutritional value and save it for the winter. If you just left it out there in the field at that time, then in the winter it would really not be very good quality for eating. It would not meet their nutritional needs. So we cut it when it is at the highest nutritional value and uh, then save it for the winter in those big bales. But you, you are really impressive that you picked up on the fact that we love grass. We are really <laughs> proud of yep. the fact that we take care of that grass. And the reason that this grass in South Dakota, in Nebraska, in, in Kansas, all of that, and reaching down into Oklahoma, the reason it's still there is because our ancestors made a commitment to cattle ranching. And it's because of cows. If there were not cows eating that grass, it it would have gone to something else. It probably would have grown up into a forest. And the thing about that, I know a lot of people think that forests will sequester carbon and take better care of the air. That is not true. The prairies actually sequester carbon at a rate almost as good as the rainforest. Wow. Because the roots reach so deep down into the ground. And the bottom line is, though, we don't disturb the top of the ground. So we leave that carbon down into the ground, but the only way we can actually utilize it is to let cows eat it. And it's so interesting because, you know, that's like a t-shirt. We love our grass. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it's really incredible because 
these are the kinds of stories people don't hear. These are the things that people don't realize. Is are, are you trying to reclaim? Are there areas where you're like, well, there's a bunch of trees over on those acres. Let's cut them down and let the will the grass just fill in wherever you cut things down? Absolutely, yes. So it's not really quite that easy, but yes, that is totally sure what we do. So there are places that have been allowed to grow up in trees, and that just makes us absolutely crazy. So if we can um, help out with that, the other thing is some of the land that was plowed up through the years, many generations ago, the government has actually instituted a number of um, opportunities for us to, they help us plant it back to native grass. Is it exactly the same as the true native prairie that was never torn up? No, it'll take a lot of years to get to that. But it really does make a tremendous difference to have that partnership with the government, encouraging that to come back. Well, and I've been reading a lot about old farming techniques. I'm sure you've heard of these guys that rotate their cattle and crops and they do all these things. But at the same time, there is a, a value in leaving the same thing there because the roots get deeper, because it fills the soil better. And, and I think it's so interesting because you're, 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 you're using the age of, you know, this, who knows how long that grass has been there, right. millions of years. So rotational grazing doesn't necessarily mean they're not doing it uh, the same as grandpa, right? right? So rotational grazing is fairly new. Um, it's, it's a better way to utilize the grass to kind of identify um, which grasses, like Stacy said, identify which grasses they need to eat at which times of the year. So depending on when you move your cows around, that helps them actually utilize the grass better and is actually better for the roots, right? right? Yeah. So if you just leave it and it just grows, you're going to get weeds encroaching and you may or may not actually have good root stimulation. The other thing that's really good that we don't even often mention is that when a cow steps on the ground, they have a cloven hoof. So when they step down on the ground, they actually help to kind of aerate the roots, aerate the soil. They're good all around. And then by the way, they drop manure wherever they are. And that's good fertilizer. Absolutely. Well, and so are you, are, are you all like, are you kind of changing where the cows are at or are they just kind of grazing around? I mean, in Texas, we've got ranches that are so big, you might not see the cows for a year if you don't go looking for them. But it's very intentional. Yeah. It really is very intentional. We have, so a water source where the water is placed, we might encourage, um, because we do a fence or something like that in a different location, we encourage cows to actually utilize all the grass. Um, in Kansas, we burn the prairie to kill off the trees and the invasive species. So we might burn a certain area and not burn the other half of the pasture, say. Then as the fresh new tender grass starts to regrow, that draws the cows there. So we are even in a great big huge pasture, even in Texas, it's very intentional and it's called grazing management. We really have a goal and a plan and we know what we're doing moving them around. Troy, how do you do it in South Dakota? Yeah, and, and, and so what you have to do too is like, we couldn't just leave them out in that pasture year round just because of the weather, you know, and the change of the seasons we're gonna see. And so, so we're trying to move those cows around. We want them in certain places during certain times of year so we can offer more protection for them during the winter, um, make sure that we keep water open for them that time of year. And so, yeah, we're, and we're, a lot of times when we're doing it too, we're looking at turning cattle into pastures at different times of the summer. So let's say one time, you know, this pasture, we might have hit it early in the season. Maybe next year we're going to hit it late in the season, right? And so those grasses are, are getting grazed at different times. You're getting hoof action on the ground at different times. And, and so we're able to kind of utilize them that way too. But 
what to me is, you know, the, the grass is so amazing because if you and I go out and try to eat a handful of that grass, right, <laughs> we, our stomach can't digest it, right? We'd starve to death on that stuff. And here you got this amazing animal, the cow, that goes out and takes a bite of that grass and in her rumen, she's able to, to digest that grass, break it down, get the nutrients out of it and turn it into beef. I mean, what a, I mean, it's, it's like magic really, right? And so that's what's so cool is you can, is that whole process of this grass growing out there. And now we have this animal that can come along and graze it and turning into a product that you and I absolutely love to eat. And, and it's so healthy for us. And so that's, what's really fun to see it from beginning to end. And you know what? I don't think you'd really enjoy barbecuing a big load of grass, would you? <laughs> Some briskets and steaks are a lot more fun. Grass might be good to start the fire with. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm guessing y'all, you know, the beautiful thing about the beef industry, about the barbecue industry, we have a lot in common, which is we like to work hard. Uh, you know, ranching is not something that is nine to five. It's probably more like five to nine. And uh, it sounds like you're using technology. I mean, what what's changed since your grandparents did this? It's I like to tell the story of how, you know, today we're really using some cutting edge technology when you're talking DNA profiles and, and nutrition analysis and those types of things. But we're blending it with those generations of wisdom that, you know, the things that my grandparents and great grandparents learned about how to live on that land and how to handle those cattle and, and how to handle the grass. And so we're blending those two things together to, to continue to just propel our product to, to be better and better. And so... Just because grandpa didn't do it that way, I, I, I don't, isn't a reason not to do it. Grandpa did it the way he did it because of the technology he had. And, and we're just doing the same thing. But it's, you still end up, when it comes to animal welfare and how you care for those cattle, you still come back to what grandpa did. And you knew those cattle need clean water, they need good feed. Uh, you got to provide them protection in the wintertime. And those basics will never, ever change, regardless of any technology that comes down the line. Are there, are there still things that you do the old way? Are there things that, I mean, I, like in, in barbecue, you know, there's a, a woman named Miss Tootsie uh, at Snow's Barbecue in Lexington. You might have heard of her. Uh, she just got into the Barbecue Hall of Fame, and um, she's a James Beard nominee. But if you ask her, you know, how do you check the, the, you know, what temperature do you do things at? She just goes, sticks her hand over the pit, you know? So there are still those old school things. Are there things that, that technology can't replace in ranching? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think for us... Um, Tradition is very near and dear to our hearts. So, you know, Troy's talked about we're, we're fifth-generation American ranchers. Debbie, how long is your family? Yeah, it's about the same. Yeah, so, so that alone, the tradition and the pride that we feel as part of being a part of that land for that many generations um, probably is, is one of the biggest things. But we laugh like we still have a, an old granary on our place that hopefully today corn's being delivered to it uh, um, you know that Troy's grandfather utilized and and it still works today so we take pride in using things on our ranch for years and years because that's important to us to to utilize every resource that we have unlike our friend in Kansas uh, we don't have a tree problem like Debbie <laughs> yeah. does on the plains of South Dakota unless, unless you want to grow one yeah yeah that's that's it so so every you know when we looked at buildings being built out of wood those kinds of things were really really important because we didn't have a lot of trees to start with in South Dakota and so then we we probably 
value that resource more than anything is is those kinds of things that we had to bring in or or harvest in that way but you know we still in south dakota are our brand state we brand our livestock for um identification purposes that's a very traditional practice um you know those those kinds of things have real meaning still today um for cattle theft and and that's real and so that helps us have that permanent identification on the animal. We just don't do it necessarily because we do it. We do it for a reason. Now, I, I'm assuming that you all know your neighbors, so how, it can't be that easy to steal a cow, though. Oh. Well, <laughs> when the cows so? are really valuable, that can still really? happen. That's definitely a thing that, well, and that can still... Well, when you've got the certified Angus, yeah, those that's are very true. valuable cows. Yeah. 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 So, it, it, yeah, you do have to be careful. We lock our gates. We do we do things. And, and a lock on your gate is just going to keep the honest people honest. But, right. yeah, that's still a thing out there. And we try to take really good care of them, so we don't want that to happen. Well, and I, I know the cows tend to knock over the, the fences, too. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes. They say the grass is always greener on the other right. side, right? But our goal is that it's the greenest on our side. But yeah, so the thing I like to mention about my neighbors, so our neighbors are very similar to us, right? And I think that they end up doing things, um, similar decisions, similar choices, but uh, people ask how come I'm the one that gets to go to the meetings and how come we're the one that got the certified Angus beef logo painted on our barn? You know, I think it's really just a matter of that we're the ones that are willing to speak up and talk about it. Not everybody has time for that, right? And we are here for four full days, and that means there's work that should be getting done, that we left our family members, our kids, home doing a lot of the work, but there are things that we have to take time away from the ranch for. And so I don't ever want um, to make it sound like that I'm somebody really special because my neighbors are pretty darn amazing, and they do a great job, and they're those same kind of people across the nation doing the work of raising beef. Well, I'm sure that when you're working at these levels, I'm sure there's, you know, you might have a little extra hay one winter or they might have something that you need. It, it, at least from everything I've experienced in Texas, it seems like you, you know, you can't really get anywhere without the help of your neighbors, without the community. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, I, I was uh, just two days ago, I got a text and my neighbor is asking if he could borrow a uh, a piece of livestock handling equipment that we have and and I said absolutely you know because I borrowed a piece of his earlier this spring you know and so you just you don't even think twice about that kind of stuff if they need help working cattle moving cattle or or you know especially when you get into some rough weather um, you know and you can't do the things the way you maybe you normally would and you need some extra help and there's there's never any doubt that you will not be able to find help or some you know because we just live in a great place um, you know, there's not a lot of us out there, um, but th those of us that do live out there are, are a lot of good people, and, and we're proud to call that home. Now, w w the weather's cooling off. You talked about hay and things in the winter. Do the cows go indoors in the winter as well? No, a cow is pretty amazing. She really doesn't need to. So um, they have four parts to their stomach, and one of the parts is the reason that they can eat grass. It's called a rumen, and that rumen, when it's digesting, creates heat. So wow. really, she's a lot happier outside. If I made her come into a climate-controlled barn, she really wouldn't be very happy in the winter. So they're very well acclimated. They prefer colder temperatures instead of hot. Um, and frankly, there isn't a barn big enough to put all of Troy yeah. and Stacy's cows or my cows. So we, we do provide windbreaks. We do provide you know enough feed so they are exactly what they need so they can stay warm and generate heat. 
Um, but as long as they have good food and uh, fresh water, fresh clean water, and a good place to lay down, really, a cow loves to be outside. She would prefer it. And are you all getting snow and things in South Dakota? Gosh, don't even say that word yet. That's a horrible, horrible thing to say to someone. Um, we're not. I think Troy told me that he heard that North Dakota is supposed to get some snow up in their far north side, and it made me cringe just a little. Uh, we still have a lot of, as Debbie said, a lot of fall work that we need to get done before we're ready for the snow. Um, uh, you work a lot of cattle in the fall time, where traditionally where we live, and so we've still got a lot of work to do before we see any snowflakes. But you do get, eventually you get snow. Oh, yes, sir, we do. Yeah, we had a record amount of snow last year, so we're still coming off of that with bad memories, and we really <laughs> don't want to repeat that again. But, um, yeah, we get, and we get brutal colds. Um, we often laugh that Canada forgets to shut the door up there, and so we can get a lot of cold wind coming our direction and snow. But, but I do think, like Debbie said, you know, think about that you have leather shoes and leather jackets, and there's, there's a reason for that. That also is a very tough hide that those animals have that protect them. And that's why we also take those and utilize it to make things for us to, to utilize when it's cold or, or through the elements. And so what does is, what is the fall look like? Are you changing the feed? Are you, what are you doing with the cattle for the fall? Yeah. So this time of year, you know, the, the grasses will start to go dormant, right? And so um, we'll be weaning the calves. So that cow had a calf last spring. This is the time of year we'll start taking that calf away from that cow. Um, she's got to start preparing for winter. She's got to start preparing to have another calf next spring. She's already pregnant at this point. Um, so, so we'll take that calf off. It's time for that calf to start growing on its own. Um, so we wean that off onto a diet. Um, and you, got, you work with that rumen that Debbie talked about. And you, you want to feed that calf correctly. And, and you work them up to different diets during the year. You know, we, we have to consider when we're feeding our calves through the winter time, um, temperature. So as the temperature drops, their nutrient requirements go up, and we will adjust that feed sometimes on a daily basis, trying to keep up uh, with the weather. And so uh, that furnace that Debbie talked about, that rumen, right, when the colder it gets, the more, you know, the more we got to stoke the fire a little bit. And so, um, so we pay a lot of attention to that. So it's... Um, it's not just a one-size-fits-all thing, even when it comes to nutrition. Um, as the cow, different stages of her pregnancy, her nutrient requirements can change drastically. And so we always try and, you know, match. We always know where those cows are in their stage of production, match those diets accordingly. And, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's fun, though. I mean, it's a, it's a really cool challenge to, to do that stuff. And when you kind of know what's going on, um, you know, it's, it's a bit exciting to, to work with those challenges. Um, as long as, you know, Mother Nature's not too nasty to us. So. You know, fall is an interesting time, too. We have some other people that are partners on our ranch, which means um, specifically our veterinarian and a nutritionist. They're really, really important people, and fall is often the time that we get them on the ranch more so they can see what our ranch needs are. So we work with a nutritionist so that we're testing the actual quality of all of the feed that we use. Wow. And then they actually will devise a ration for us that based on whether that's an animal that's destined for the feed yard, it'll put it on one kind of a ration with a little more carbohydrates and you know that kind of thing. But if it's an animal that we're gonna use for breeding purposes, we don't really want them to gain a lot of fat. We want them to grow. We want them to have the optimum nutrition so they'll figure out a different kind of a diet for us. 
And then the other partner so specific that I mentioned is the veterinarian. So our veterinarian helps us on so many different uh, ways, but one of the things is just monitoring the health of our entire herd and helping us to devise a vaccination program. So if we have a problem, that veterinarian knows what we've done all along and is able to come in and help us figure out what the problem is and what we need to do about it, right? So we're not just kind of randomly saying, oh, that cow looks sick, let's do, you know, what are we gonna do, oh my gosh. No, we really have handled it very clearly with a specialist, with the veterinarian, and try to figure out exactly what needs done. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, it sounds like the veterinarian knows more about those cows than my doctor knows about me. <laughs> well, sometimes Might be, I think yeah. that's true. <laughs> yeah. Our cows probably see a vet more often than you see a doctor. Yeah, so, exactly. you know, that's true. Uh, and is it just one person or... For the veterinarian. Yeah. So usually it's a veterinary practice and they may have one veterinarian overseeing two or three other people. And especially in rural areas, I'm going to tell you, this is one of the things that we're kind of struggling with. All the veterinarians that are graduating from college these days want to do a little bit uh, easier job. And so they're picking the small animals. But if you find a large animal vet, that is one committed, passionate person. And so a lot of these small communities kind of revolve around a really good vet. And those communities really support that good large animal veterinarian. You, you give them free steaks or what? <laughs> well, I always do give them a Christmas present, yes. But our veterinarian becomes a friend. Really, yeah. we see them and we'll work all day long with them out in the heat, out in the, you know, the cold, the heat, whatever it is. That veterinarian is working in the same things we have. And frankly, I call a veterinarian at the worst time on my ranch. So if I have a cow that's having a problem having her baby, and I can't, we've tried, we'll, you know, we can do an awful lot. But if it takes one step more and we need a veterinarian and it's two o'clock in the morning, guess what? They come. So yeah, we take really good care of our veterinarian. Or on Easter Sunday when we had trouble. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Gotta do it. Uh, and tell me more about the ranch. Are you are you mostly driving trucks? Are you riding dirt bikes? Are you riding horses? To, <laughs> how how are you surveying the land? Are you using drones? Uh, you know, sometimes it's a little bit of each. Um, so you know, we 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 can utilize horses on our place. We've done that some, or do that some. Um, we also use like four wheelers or UTVs, side by side type things. Kind of depends on the time of year and what we're trying to do. Um, we do have a drone, and I think we we continue to try and, you know, we're taking pictures with and stuff. We're kind of trying to figure out maybe what are the best ways to utilize that. Um, you know, the, so we're learning there too. You know, and so that's another thing. Just because Grandpa didn't have a drone, right, um, doesn't mean we can't use it. We just kind of got to learn this a little bit, and so. There's lots of ways to do it, um, but you know you have to get out there and, and very routinely check those cows. If if something's getting sick, um, obviously the earlier we catch it, the better. Um, you know if you're depending on on wells and stuff for water for those cattle, you know if a well goes down or something, you've got you've got a very small amount of time to get that fixed. And so it um, yeah it just depends and and it can change from day to day. Um, there again, no right way to do it necessarily. Um, sometimes it's a combination of all those things. You know, one of the things Troy and Stacy and I have in common is that we're working with our family. So they have three kids and I have five kids. And who does the work at home? Yeah, it's family. And that's, you know, we, we are really, really, really lucky that I get to work every single day with my son, who is now our ranch manager. And um, it's, it's really awesome. So when we had five little kids, though, we chose not to do with horseback. 
because if you don't have time to keep a horse ridden, it really isn't safe to just use them once or twice For a year. Sure. So our, on our ranch, pretty much all the cows are very tame. Um, not like you can go pet them or anything, but you shake a bucket or you drive in with the pickup and they think they're getting fed and they come running and we'll follow you and we'll follow them then with um, probably a four wheeler or two or three and, and that kind of thing. But the goal is to really not have to do a whole lot of gathering, a whole lot of messing with them. They know mother nature and a cow knows what she needs. And if we can just make sure that that's available to them, that's our goal. And do they know, you talked about windbreaks and things, do they know they kind of go right to the spot when it gets They cold? do. Have you ever driven by a pasture, and I don't know if you're even in an area that where there's any cows, oh. but if there is a storm coming up, you will find all of the cows with their butts facing the, the wind, where the wind is coming from, and they'll be kind of walking with the wind until they hit a fence, and then they'll stop with their butts facing the wind. They know. Wow. They feel it. They say, hey, this feels better. I don't think a cow says in her mind, look, there's a windbreak, let's go there. But they might kind of know that that's their gathering point, and they'll end up there in those storms. Wow. Yeah, I go, uh, I go out of town a lot for barbecue, and every Saturday I actually drive to Lexington, which is about 62 miles from Austin. So I see all kinds of, of cows, including Angus. And uh, it's, it's cool to see just, it's almost like they're predicting the weather, you know. You, you, I look, <laughs> and I'm like, why are all the cows under a tree? And then a little while later, it starts raining. Uh, is it mostly natural water? Is there? Do you ever have to bring in water or bring in large amounts of anything? You know, I think that's where everyone's different on, on what their resources are. Uh, we're pretty fortunate to have a lot of open water sources from the ground, natural um, dams, those kinds of things that will catch rainwater, snow, um, and then melt so that they're able to utilize it. Um, in our in our backgrounding feedlot too that we have, we have um, wells there that feed them water so that they always have a fresh source of water while they're in the feedlot part of it. Is it fun to, yeah, I'm sure you get to know your herd pretty well. Are, are there often, you know, my, my friend just recently went out uh, and, and found some land and to get his agricultural exemption, he's got some donkeys and some uh, goats and he told me the donkeys are kicking the fences down every day are the are the cattle do they like what kind of what kind of fun problems do the cattle let, create let me start with this one because both of these uh, Debbie and Troy are out every day with their cattle so I always say they're emotionally tied to them and in fact I call Troy's cattle the other women in his life okay because he is very tied to them and needs to spend quality time with each of them and knows them all as I'm sure Debbie does too by by what calf they have the year before, five years before. I mean, they, as ranchers, know their livestock. I'm very fortunate that, that I have a job um, off the farm, so I'm not as tied to my livestock. So sometimes I look at it as I can take that emotional tie of being tied to the animals, just step back just a smidge and be able to use a business side when we have to make business decisions about our ranch, which both of these guys are really good at, but sometimes they just love their cows so much that it's, it's hard to decipher from that because we're so passionate about taking care of our animals. But I'll let you two fill in on the rest. <laughs> no, you know, I think almost every cattle rancher calls his cows his girls, yeah. right? And, and I do too. They're my girls. They're, they're who I spend my days yes. with. They don't back talk typically. <laughs> and uh, so I can tell them my troubles and really enjoy it. But yeah, and there are some, though, that you do end up really liking more than the past. There's a, a we, my kids used to show heifers at cattle shows. And so there's a couple old girls that, 
you know, used to go to cattle shows, and so they were halter trained and very tame and spoiled. so spoiled, rotten, yes. And so they know us and want to come see us when we see. And I always, there's one that uh, that I always see in this certain pasture that we take her to. She was a show heifer, and I will always take a picture of her and send her to my son because that is his old show heifer that he really, really likes. So, yeah, there's a few that always are special in your heart. And I'm guessing that takes a special eye. The average person doesn't know a, a, a heifer from a stud to whatever. Right. Uh, yeah. Is there something you look for when you, when you do these shows? Oh, you know, when you come to showing cattle, yeah, that, that's a certain thing in its own where you've kind of got to have cattle that will work in the show ring. Um, can sometimes be a little bit different than what you need them to do in your environment or out in the, out in the pasture. But, you know, that, having that eye for cattle, that, that's one of those generational wisdom things that gets passed down. I mean, you, you learn how to pick out cattle, you learn the parts to look for, and, and when you're young and you just grow into that. And, and yeah, some people pick it up real easy. Some people don't have that eye for cattle necessarily. And, um, you know, but, you know, we're really lucky. I mean, I, when, when working cattle with our family, you know, my son is 16, just about 17 now. And, and, and you can see it like he's got that eye for cattle. He knows how to work them. He knows how to make them do what they need to do. And, and you know, he's calm and quiet. And, and those are all the things that kind of naturally he's, he's learned, but, you know, just kind of has a knack for it too. And so you, you, you learn some of that stuff. Some of it's, you know, you, you just can maybe born with a little bit, but you've, you'll pick it up along the way. And is there a, uh, is there a favorite activity? Like when, when you've had a, a long day, you had to go out an extra hour on the ranch or whatever. You, you, you sit on the porch with some bourbon, a cigar. What's the, what's the wind down for a, for a cattle rancher? So one of the stories that I like to tell is that when my kids and I, May is the beginning of grass season. So when the grass is just coming into its really good nutritional level and it's starting to really actively grow, and so that's when we're getting the cows out of their winter location and taking them out to the fresh grass. And that's an awful lot of work because you have to sort them, make sure the mama and the baby are in the same place and divide them up into each group. And honestly, that goes back to even organizing based on who, which bull I want to breed each cow to, right? So I'll put a group of them together with a bull specifically because that's the genetics I want or whatever. And so that's a lot of stress and a lot of work for more than a week or two. I mean, really, we are, we are working hard and um, really physically difficult. So what we try to do at the end of that is um, when our last group goes to grass, our last, last pasture full of cattle is filled, we take our fishing poles and some chairs and go out to the farm pond with all of the kids, everybody that's been working with us, crack a cold one, have a glass of wine, and watch the sun go down while we're fishing. And that's just been a family tradition for us, and that's one of the wonderful perks of working with family. I think anybody who owns a small family business can relate with the kind of hours, as you've already indicated, that you have to pour into it. And so I'm always the big one that says we need to do those kinds of things. And that might be a mom thing too, right? To be like, we have to also have some fun while we're doing this because sure. they are very long, hot, strenuous days at times and, and lots going on. And so for us, we live in a very tiny town. Um, one of the big treats, and this will sound so funny, but so true, is so rarely do we ever go in to the bar and we'll have pizza. 
So, I mean, that's kind of our, our small little treat. Um, and it sounds funny, but it's the only restaurant that's kind of open in our small community at, at that time. And the kids seem to think it's a big treat at this point to do that. So those are small little things that you try to squeeze in because, because we do live rural and how you find those activities that everybody kind of looks forward to or you just have some fun. So we live in a world where, you know, beef demand is just growing every day, whether it's domestically, internationally. What is, you know, some people would say, oh, everyone wants more beef, just raise more cattle. But what are the challenges to growing a herd beyond, you know, where you're at now? You know, when you look at your ranch as an entirety, you know, you're only going to produce X amount of grass out there, X amount of feed for the winter. And so... Right off the bat, your feed availability is the thing that, you know, really dictates how many cattle you have. Um, so there's things like that. The weather can change, obviously, from year to year. We, Two years ago, we were in an extreme drought. We, we had to do all kinds of things that we wouldn't normally do to keep the cow herd together, um, get them through the winter, and then get them through the summer again when it never rained. Um, and now two years down the road, now we're dealing with flooding and, and those types of things. So... So when you talk about, you know, if we just need to raise more beef, yeah, it's not always as easy as it sounds because every time you add one more cow to the ranch, she's you. what is she going to eat? That's what you have to have a plan for. And you don't assume it's going to rain every year. Um, so you've kind of got to keep carry over some feed to get you through some tough times once in a while. And so it, it's, not a, it's not a factory, right? We can't just add a third shift um, to make more. So we have to... Um, you know, we have to become more efficient. We can utilize things better, like when we're talking about grazing management and those types of things, and we can and do certain things to make them maybe grow faster with less feed, um, if that's what we want to do. But at the end of the day, yeah, Mother Nature really dictates how much beef we're going to raise in this country every year. You know, that, that brings up the topic of sustainability and taking care of the environment and, and matching what we're doing based on the environment and, and looking at it on a more global level. I think that we need to be really proud because our grandfathers back in the, say in the 70s, we have the same number of cows that, no wait a minute, we're, we're raising the same amount of beef that we were in the 70s with 33% fewer cows. So we are a lot more efficient, a lot more sustainable. We're taking care of the environment better, which you know, means we're not, we're not making new land, right? That's the biggest, most important natural resource in cattle ranching. We are not making more land. So we have got to take good care of what we have, which we've always focused on doing. And now we're doing an even better job of that uh, through these technologies that Troy mentioned. So I really think that in the next 30 years, we're going to find some tremendous advantages um, in efficiencies and sustainability, even above what we've had the last 30 years. What kind of things, when you say that, what do you mean by? So, like, um, we, we utilize water better. We use less water per pound of beef than we used to. We grow our crops much more efficiently. When they were originally, um, you know, growing corn or growing different crops, they really were not uh, able to to understand exactly where the fertilizer was necessary, and so we're able to pinpoint where those needs are. Um, we've, we've genetically set up our cattle. We select which genetics for our cattle by saying, I want this cow bred to this bull because, say, she's really a good mama, 
right? And she's got good, strong feet and legs, but maybe she's not as good of uh, marbling quality. So I'm gonna pick a bull specifically that has great marbling capabilities. So then probably the product is gonna be someone who has great feet and legs, a great structure, and by the way, marbles really easily. So my goal is to make certified Angus beef, right? Of every animal. So there's just so many ways that we're becoming more and more efficient. And you know, I mentioned veterinarians and nutritionists, they also play a part in sustainability. So by having healthier cattle, we're able to make sure that they're better, gaining better. You know, when you're healthy, you, you feel better, you do better, you eat more, right? You, those kind of things. And then our um, nutritionist is helping us pinpoint those rations and what they need to be fed. So there's, there's so many ways that we're increasing sustainability. I know I've missed a bunch, Troy. Yeah, you know, and it's, there's things coming down the line that we can't even imagine. I mean, they're starting to see some research in fetal programming where you can, you know, the, the, what happens is that cow while she's pregnant can dictate how that, that calf that's not even born yet ends up, you know, uh, performing during its life and those types of things. So there's lots of things like that that continue to come down the line that we're going to see um, that's really exciting. Um, you know, and I think we just continue to have to be open-minded and, and when new technology comes along, as long as it continues to be, you know, accomplishes what we need and we still have this safe, wholesome product at the end, that's most important. And I think that's what's so cool to me about the Certified Angus Beef brand because if a consumer sees that at a restaurant or buys that at the grocery store, you know that that animal was raised with intention. It was raised with this, with that mating in mind at the very beginning. Um, it was raised with, with a certain feeding protocol in mind, so you have this end product. And so these cattle really don't happen by accident. You kind of have to go out there and want to make this happen. And, on, and if you have hiccups along the way, it's, it could knock that animal out of the, being eligible for that program. And so uh, when you see that brand, you know that you're buying a product that, um, that Debbie has worked really hard for um, to make possible. So now you talked about marbling are, are you are you getting a report from the slaughterhouse right. so so they're actually telling you so you're you know uh, they're tagged with a number I'm guessing right yep yeah, yeah so we we tag every animal at birth so I can identify exactly who their mom and dad are and I know all of their half siblings I know I know all those connections and then that tag stays in their ear until they finish up at the slaughter plant Troy and Stacy do like we do, and that is they own the cattle clear through the feed yard until they are slaughtered. And so we get paid if they make certified Angus beef, we make more money. Great. So we want to know, yeah. right? We want to know which of those matings are the best, and we want more of those. So yeah, we are really focused. Um, there's not everybody, not all ranchers do that, own their cattle all the way through, but if you can, it provides you the best information about what kind of changes you need to make down the line to do a better job. Is that a challenge because the payoff is later or why, sure. why wouldn't you do that? Sure, the banker. The risk. Yeah, there, you, you own those cattle longer essentially so there's more risk you know, financially there because your asset is, you know, in business terms, you, you're owning this asset for a longer time and it's a perishable, perishable product. Um, you know, so there's no guarantee by the, you know, when, from the time you mated that cow to two years later, now when it's harvest ready, that the market's going to be there that you were hoping necessarily. And so, so there is some risk there, but I, you know, this is the thing, you know, what Debbie does and what we do, we're, we're so confident, I guess, in what we're doing and proud of what we're doing that we want to own them 
as long as we can. We want to get as close to the consumer as we can. Um, it's a little bit of a gamble, obviously, but um, we know that if we did everything right on our end, that we're going to get a premium for our product and that people are going to, um, you know, get, a, get another good product to eat. And so, so yeah, it's not for everybody. And, and, and we aren't able to actually do the whole process at our, at our ranch. We can't um, take them all the way up to slaughter weight because we, we really don't have any packing plants very close to us there. And, and the feed and the weather all make it really challenging for us to finish cattle. So we rely on working with some of our partners down in Kansas um, that we work with, the feed yard down there, and they know what our goals are. They know the history of these cattle. So we'll grow them up to say about 800 pounds, and then we will send them down to the feed yard uh, in Kansas. Weather typically be a little bit better there than it is at our house, and, and feed availability might be a little easier. And, and they take over from there. I still own them, but they're feeding them for me. And, and it's just, you know, there again, it's utilizing the resources we have available at our ranch to, you know, to get the best possible product in the end. And it's just so interesting to me. So if you're not owning them to the end, would you sell them to the feedlot to finish them? Or? Yeah, so a lot of times there are different ways that you can do that. But yeah, if, you, if you're not financially set up or you don't need that information or, or whatever, for whatever reason, um, you may want to sell the calf at weaning time or so shortly thereafter weaning time. And then, yes, there's quite a few feed yards that are specifically set up that they buy cattle from cattle ranchers and then they own them till the end. Right. So and there's other feed yards then that you can just pay to feed your cattle for you. So I would I pay for the feed and I pay for the guy to take care of the cattle. So if you're if you're selling them to the feed lot, are they going by weight? Are they going by is there a grading system? Right. So so it is not a grading system at that point. But that's also where the good information comes in. So I have sold my calves at weaning sometimes because you know, whatever market pressure, or I, I just need to pay the banker sometimes, yeah. you know, and I just need to, to make a sale sometimes. But um, it helps, though, that I know how well my cattle feed. So I can go to them and say, typically, my cattle feed really well, and we have 80% plus. I mean, I'm pulling the number out of the air because Troy knows exactly what his percentage <laughs> of certified Angus beef is. I, it, it's been a while since we've fed, so I really can't quote that right off the top of my head. But I know that so many of my cattle grade certified Angus beef, so the guy that's buying them can say, hey, I want those cattle, right? Or, or if I'm not able to give that information, they might say, hmm, yeah, I'll, I'll buy them from you, but I'll get them at a lower price, and then I can decide whether that's appropriate. So the more information you have, the better. And so that, that brings us to the, the final step, the slaughter. Now you say you send them to Kansas. Is that what you do, Debbie? Or yeah, so Kansas is perfectly set up for feeding cattle and for slaughter facilities. It's dry. It's flat in the western part of the state. There's a lot of feed yards and uh, opportunities for slaughter plants out there. And when you're so when you're doing that, uh, I know that the is it the FDA requires a certain amount of cattle to go through. Uh, a, a plant before they can I know there's like a minimum when you have a plant they're very big right yeah they're huge it's mostly economies of scale yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think it's mostly a case that it takes a lot of specialized equipment to have a packing plant and as well as inspections and safety situations so Absolutely, I mean I, yeah. I can't just do that on my ranch really even even a, a you know small 
source like me. So it's really important that I have that ability to go to somebody that's going to do it right. Uh, I, Troy, you can probably speak to yeah, that. Yeah, and, and you know, that's where we rely on our feed yard down in Kansas, the manager down there. We visit with him a lot, and, and he's trying to find the best place for us to market those cattle because um, sometimes the, the grid that they pay you on can be different. It can change from week to week. Um, and they, he's living down there. He's kind of got his finger on the pulse, and so he gives us the recommendation on where to go and when the cattle are ready and those types of things. But that's, that's again, that's a, it's just like your, your, your veterinarian that you work with, you know, your, your ranch managers, your partners in this, you know, you rely on those folks to help you along the way, and that's why it, it takes a, it's a big, long chain yeah. Um, from the time that we're breeding cows at our ranch to the time it ends up on somebody's plate. And, and, um, but, you know, it's, we, like I said, we own them all the way. They're hanging on the rail. We still own them when the USDA grader takes a look at that animal and says, you know what, that one's going to qualify for certified Angus beef. And, and you know, we want to we own them all the way to the end because we think we do a pretty darn good job of it. So. You know, you that talk about the science. There's even science in the slaughter process. So there are audits as far as how well they do um, in slaughtering animals. And so my goal, I have raised that calf from a baby, right? It matters to me. I expect that they have a good, respectful, really well done slaughter situation. So I just want you to know, if you've never been to a slaughter plant, it's a really good place to take care of our cattle like that. So they don't know what's coming. They are handled quietly and calmly. They make it up to the top. They're just hanging out with their friends and following along. And then all of a sudden, in the knockbox, they're dead. They don't know that it's coming. They're not scared. They're not afraid. One of the ways that we know that is when a cow is scared, she moves. They're afraid. They're agitated. They start talking to each other. They count how many times cattle moo on the way to slaughter. Really? Yes, and if they move too much, you fail your audit. You must have cattle calm and comfortable, and that actually makes the best meat, and it makes me happy because I raised that animal, and I care about that animal, and so do they. It matters. And to add to that, not only that, but if, if cattle are stressed at the point of slaughter, it will show up in the meat. It, you, it will visibly change the color of the meat. And so there is physical evidence and, and that aspect of how the cattle are handled prior to slaughter. So it, it sometimes on the surface, it sounds like maybe it can be a gruesome process, but it's, it's incredibly quiet um, and, and clean, and, and it's just done so efficiently. And if it's not, um, we all pay for it. So. Well, and for people, who, for people who listen to the show, they know that I always ask people, what's your message to the people who are enthusiasts? In this case... This is more of a certified Angus beef rancher conversation, not a barbecue one. But are, are there people getting into the ranching business? Do you have any tips for people who are interested in, in any level from, from slaughter to, to raising? Um, the, uh, yeah, so my, my brain is wired for the business side that I've talked about. Um, getting into farming and ranching is no easy feat in this day and age with the expense that it takes, the massive amount of cash flow that you have to have, um, the marketing plan, you know, let alone like Debbie talked about, your science knowledge. And it, it is not an easy industry to break into if you're starting on the cow-calf side or anything with the livestock raising side of it. Um, so, so my advice is there are, there are lots of farmers and ranchers who are nearing retirement age. 
and getting connected with somebody who has that history to mentor you through can, I think, make or break you, as we know in almost anything. So that that's probably one of the most important components of it. Um, it's that it's that knowledge that will help you during the hard times to to farm and ranch. And I would just add to that too. You know, that's you know the production, the cow calf side is just one step. I mean. We need to continue to get these young minds coming out of school that are interested in how do we continue to improve food safety? How can we continue to be more efficient? How can we, you know, how can we utilize that grass even better? As much as we know about the cow herself, she's she's still a bit of a mystery on some things. How it works at, at those at those really tiny levels inside the rumen, and and what is that little thing that can all of a sudden you take a healthy cow and now she's not, and and so we have got you know we rely on some of these kids coming out of school getting into food science meat science veterinary school any of that kind of thing that will continue to to help us all um, get more efficient let's make it another 33 percent you know and and gain that efficiency and so it's it's a big it's a big partnership really to get food on the table you know it starts at the ranch but uh, there's a lot of steps along the way that we will always need help with and the Certified Angus Beef brand is creating scholarships. Uh, I even saw some Texas A&M students on one of the posters, which was really fun, because I've actually been to their their agriculture department. I've actually they have a classroom where they can pull a side of beef in and show us the grading, and it, it's 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 a really beautiful journey I've had to to learn all about this. And you know, as much as I love Certified Angus Beef, it's really all about y'all because y'all are raising the cattle. Y'all are taking what you're doing to the next level so i appreciate y'all taking the time i know it's a busy day i know you, there was golfing and lots of other things we had today so i appreciate you taking the time because tons of people are going to send in questions and i hope uh y'all will get to see you know all the people that are, are going to enjoy this episode and i appreciate everything you do well and thank you so much we appreciate your interest really anybody who wants to take our product and be passionate about using it and advancing that too, that is awesome. We really appreciate that. And we'll take any brisket samples anytime. (laughs) Well, anytime you want to come to Austin on a trip, uh, the place in my neighborhood is the number one uh, buyer of prime cab in Texas. So they use cab prime briskets, 1100 a week. Perfect. Let's make it 12. (laughs) Hey, they're they're working on it. It's like a factory down there. But I really appreciate everyone here uh, because this is really not a, a, a side of what's going on uh, and uh, that I've covered in the show. It's not something that I've been able to to get access to. So Troy, Stacy, Debbie, thank you, thank you so much, and I hope you all enjoy. I think we're gonna go eat a bunch of really interesting food cooked yeah. by some world famous chefs. Absolutely. Well, thank you. We appreciate <laughs> yeah. your questions. Thank you. Hey, Y'all see me eat now. Hit on the meat now. Y'all see me eat now. I got jaws like a bear trap, a teeth like a razor. I made tack tongue with a sensitive taster. I born out in Texas called the land of beef. Never catch a muscle green or showing the hell that like a meat on the meat now.